Hi, this is Ned Siegfried from Siegfried & Jensen. As proud sponsors of BeliefCast, we hope you are inspired by Todd's weekly podcasts, which contain so many courageous stories of recovery and personal growth. Remember, it's not what happened in the past that matters, it's what happens in the future. We invite you all to work hard and be optimistic about your future. Enjoy today's podcast. Rob, welcome back to the show. Thank you for doing this. I'm so grateful to be here. Yeah, dude, I, I love you. I love your energy. I just love the way you live your life, and you know that. And it's it's so cool that we're just good friends now, and we got similar stories. So thank you for being here. Yeah, honored. I appreciate yeah. it. I feel the and, same. And thanks for all the listeners and followers for tuning in as well. This belief cast is is trending because of you, and thank you for all the belief and support you give us. We wouldn't be where we were at without you, so thank you so much for doing that. So Rob Eastman is our guest today. He's an amazing, phenomenal person, and you will not believe his story. Um, he's a powerful life coach, motivational speaker, and he's a recovering addict who's now saving lives. Um, and, and to be honest, it's a miracle that you're even sitting here today. Yeah. I mean, truly, truly a miracle. Uh, he's the wrestling coach at Bountiful High School. Yep. He's passionate about helping other people, especially kids, and teaching them to believe in themselves, stay away from drugs, and working on their mental health and their mental fitness and their physical fitness. Um, and so you're a highly sought-after motivational speaker. You're known as the tattooed life coach, yep. right? You can see he, he's yeah. got these beautiful tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> he looks amazing. But, uh, you know, your message of overcoming adversity, it's truly inspiring, and that's why... I think we can connect because when I hear what you've been through, man, it's like, okay, why am I complaining about my life? <laughs> you know? So why don't we start, uh, just tell us a little bit about your childhood and kind of get back to where, when you got caught up in drugs and then how, talk about the miracle of getting out of it. Yeah. So I feel like I had a pretty good upbringing, you know? Yeah. Mom's in the picture, dad's in the picture. We had everything we needed. And as I've gone through my story and learned more about my parents and their histories and things like that, it's my dad came from a broken home. His grandfather committed suicide. His dad drove his truck off of a bridge and his mother committed suicide. Wow. So I think what happened is they saw me struggle. My mom will say right out of the womb that <laughs> I was a tough kid. She, I couldn't put myself to sleep. She'd need to tickle me all the time. Even as a baby, I yeah. couldn't self soothe. And that became my coping skill. Mm. So not being able to sit still is fine when you're not in school. But yeah. then when I got into school, really started the problems of right. teachers not being equipped to handle a little redhead like me, <laughs> them bullying me, which made it okay for the kids to bully me. And so early, early into elementary school, I was fighting a lot, getting in trouble a lot, feeling different a lot. And all you want to do is fit in as a little kid. Yeah. So... It came to the point where I knew that what I was doing wasn't working. And then that's where I really learned how to start wearing masks where I'd be whatever you needed me to be, mm. which at the end of the day, I didn't, I had all these characters that I needed to play so you wouldn't pick on me, but then I'd get home and I knew I was a fraud and I knew if people really found out what I was like, they wouldn't love me, all of these different things. And started thinking about ending my life in the third grade and wow. for a little mind like that, there's not much left. So I was in survival mode pretty much all the time. Jeez. Third grade. 
couldn't sit in class. I didn't learn like everybody else. So I felt stupid in and out of the doctor's offices trying to figure out what was wrong with me. And, you know, moving forward through those years, it just got, I got better at manipulation. I got better at lying and hiding and cheating and stealing and, you know, all these different things. And every time something went wrong, my mother would love me to death, if you will. Yeah. You know, she took the pain away. Mm. So I wasn't able or taught how to deal with my own emotions. Yeah. So I was very dependent on her love for me and, and, uh, which created more problems in the home because I needed so much attention that it took from my siblings. And these are all things that I'm learning at 45 years old. <laughs> right. You know, we're having yeah. discussions with my siblings about, you know, what my issues caused inside of the home, inside of their own self-worth and why aren't they getting the attention? So growing up in Utah, I was a uh, born LDS. My uncle's one of the 12 apostles. So we had a very, high limelight on us and my dad was successful and and trying to live up to that name and trying to follow that list of rules um i couldn't do it for one and then we also didn't have that emotional and communication inside of the home where i could i felt safe to come in and and talk about those things in fear of letting my parents down it's not that they wouldn't have accepted it and loved me but when it's not an open discussion yeah you don't you don't know yeah so Drugs and alcohol were told from day one that that's a bad thing and you're going you're gonna to go to hell if you do that. The emotional pain got so much that by the ninth grade is the first time I tried to attempt suicide. Hmm. Um, stole one of my dad's revolvers, was at a party, got dumped by my girlfriend. And girlfriends and friends were my, my fuel. You yeah. know, I was the cup with the little hole at the bottom. And if you weren't filling it, I was empty. Right. So she broke up with me. I ended up playing Russian roulette and... Uh, that was the first time I found, you know, the cops came and picked me up and they took me home. And that's when I found out I, we didn't grow up with grandparents. I didn't know why. And that's what yeah. my dad told me. He's like, my entire family ended their life. And if you were to do the same thing, I don't know what I would yeah. do. Wow. I might end mine. And wow. for me, I love my dad. Yeah. Right? I don't want him to hurt. So that was out of the picture now. Now I just need to be tougher and manage my emotions or stuff them. Mm-hmm. And it just got to the point in high school that I couldn't do it anymore. And I saw these kids over here that seemed to be happy. And that's when I smoked weed for the first time. And uh, it was great. You know, the pain, yeah. the anxiety. I was welcomed into this group. Yeah. And it worked for a minute. But what they don't tell you is that a little bit now means a lot a bit later. Yeah. And uh, for a guy like me, high rev and it just meant more and more and more and more. So by the time I was out of high school, I had added, you know, weed, pills, alcohol, um, abusing relationships. And, uh, the only thing I had going for me was athletics. You know, I was a superstar soccer player and, you know, leading scorer in all of four a as a junior and as a senior and D one scholarships and, Without managing your mental health, I had an incident that cost me all of those things. Mm. Um, hanging out with some kids that were not making the best decisions, and we ended up getting in a fight with this guy and his son, and, and the guy ended up being a highway patrolman. And uh, so we got in a little bit of trouble. Yeah, I bet. And it's like, as we're growing and we're using drugs and alcohol, relationships, sex, porn, food, whatever it is, to cope and not 
decision making, thinking, playing the tape to the end. I didn't have anything when they took that away. Yeah. And so at that point, right after high school, um, me and one of my buddies got in trouble and his dad moved him away. And he was like my soulmate from the sixth grade. I saved him on the playground from bullies and we were just like instantly yeah. bonded. Wow. And uh, it was an amazing relationship because he was smart and he could do my homework <laughs> and I was scary and I could protect him on the playground. <laughs> yeah. It's a perfect you know? match. So yeah. when that was removed at like 19, um, we both just kind of fell apart and we're, you know, I went to rehab at like 18 years old for, they, they told me it was a leadership training class, but it was really <laughs> outward bound in Costa Rica. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I love it. when I got back, um, he had gotten worse in the sense that we'd meet up party, pass out, wake up in the morning, sick, high five like that was fun. And like go we did our it, way. Yeah. Right. And uh, he ended up throwing me a party for my 21st birthday. And nine days later, he ended up taking his life. And uh, that's who's tattooed on my forearm with my story isn't over and his initials. Oh, wow. That's and uh, from that point, I, I was a wreck for the next probably 15 years. I felt like I was responsible for that. Yeah. Um, when you don't have those emotional tools or the ability to work through things, you just put that pain and suffering in the backpack and eventually it catches up with you. And, and mine caught up with me at 31 years old. Um, in that decade after was a lot of overdoses, a lot of divorce, a lot of failed uh, relationships and losing jobs and just feeling mm -hmm. less than, and a lot of my parents saving me from that. Wow. You know, financially. You're right. And, uh, I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, ended up having my daughter, Sophie, and I had relapsed. I'd been clean for about a year and a half mm -hmm. at, at, uh, the age of 27. And all of a sudden I'm bringing a daughter into this world and all those fears and anxieties and insecurities came back. And it's like, I can't even take care of myself. How am I going to take care of this little baby? And rather than straightening my hat and getting better, I let that take over and I ended up relapsing. And my daughter was born and I lasted about seven months before I became a harm to myself and to the care of my daughter and my wife packed up and she left. Mm. Um, wow. And I found myself back on my parents' couch at 31 years old, um, active IV drug user. And uh, because of those stories that we talked about with my dad, and suicide not being okay yeah. and I couldn't manage the drugs anymore and I couldn't manage relationships. I couldn't keep a job because my idea was I couldn't go to work unless I got high and then I'd get so high I couldn't go to work. Yeah. And uh, it just got to the point where I was like, you know what, I'm going to accidentally overdose. And uh, I went to uh, down to downtown Salt Lake and bought eight balloons of heroin and I shot them all up. And, uh, eight, how much is that for those that are, I mean, that's a like, lot. Yeah. It would, one could kill you. One could kill you. Yeah. Yeah. So I knew that it, for sure it would be the this end of it. it and yeah. I would be doing the world a favor. My parents wouldn't have, they'd come down every morning crying, checking the couch, checking my poles to make sure like that's, you, you can't live yeah, that way. Right. Yeah. And the worst thing happened. I woke up the next day and, uh, I felt like, God had forgot about me, um, or maybe this is hell. 
that no matter what you do, you have to wake up back in that same spot and you can't get out of it like Groundhog Day. Jeez. Yeah. And uh, at that point, it was a few days after that, my dad came down and he had a piece of paper and he pushed it across the couch and he said, read this. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started reading it. My parents had stayed up the night before and they wrote my obituary. And uh, they said, we know you're going to die, but we can't have you do it in our basement. You need to leave. And uh, at that point, I probably could have asked for help, but there, I don't know how, but ego and pride was still involved. Um, Like I'm 190 pounds. I weighed 128 pounds at that point. And uh, so I chose to be homeless and I went and I lived in my car downtown Salt Lake and it was about 10 days in and I was like, I'm above this. And my head meant that I needed to end my life. And uh, the only way I could see my daughter is if my parents were there. And the only way I could get back to my parents' house is if I was to see my daughter. So I set that appointment up Mm -hmm. and I went in and gave my mom a hug, gave my dad a hug, told him I loved him, kissed my daughter, and that was going to be the last time I saw him. And uh, on my way out, I pretended to go to the bathroom and I went in and I stole a gun and drove up to the Bountiful Temple. And uh, there's a little hiking trail. It's called Sessions that you can go up and they built some benches that overlook the temple. You're like mm-hmm. eye to eye with Moroni. <laughs> and uh, I took some, I, I drank a bunch and I went up there and, and uh, you know, those internal battles that you're having. I'm, yeah. I'm weeding through it and convincing myself that I am doing everybody a favor. Nobody will miss me and my daughter will never miss me and all of these things. And I put the gun in my mouth and started to pull the trigger and these visions of my daughter and my mom popped into my head and I'm thinking like, all right, I need to work through this. My daughter, she doesn't know me. I'll never embarrass her. I'll never let her down. Any man could come into her life and do a better job than I could. Mm -hmm. That went away pretty easy. My mom, she's always a God loving woman. So I said, you know what? I'm going to tell I'm going to tell this little story or I'm going to say a prayer to her God so that when he doesn't answer it, when she dies, she can go look him in the face and say, you failed me. And uh, I hit my knees again and I said a prayer. I said, I don't know anything about a still small voice. I'm going to need something a little bit louder than that. And if I don't get the answer by the time I open my eyes, I'm pulling this trigger. And uh, I'm bawling and I put that gun in my mouth again and I start to open my eyes and this firework display went off above the Bountiful Temple. And I'm like, what in the heck is this, the sign? (laughs) And uh, shortly after that, I heard a voice and it said, is that loud enough? And uh, for a guy that doesn't believe in much, I knew that what I just heard, I couldn't deny. I collapsed onto the ground. I'm bawling my eyes out, dirt all over my face. And I was so scared. I couldn't move in fear. Like, is there somebody behind me? Was that in my head? I didn't know what had just happened. And I just laid there bawling for probably a half an hour. And uh, when I could get get the energy to get back up, I got up. I ran down the mountain, jumped in my car, went home, told my dad what had happened, gave him the gun, and I drove myself straight to the hospital. And uh, that was August 31st, 2009. And the following day is my sobriety date of September 1st, 2009. And wow. uh, that started the journey. <laughs> wow. So that is incredible. Again, I, I wasn't joking when I said it's a miracle that you're sitting here, but how grateful 
I am, and I know many, many thousands and thousands of people are grateful that you're here. Because now, we said at the beginning, you, you were this addict, which, boy, you painted a story like no other, but now you're saving lives. Let's talk about that for a minute, because you're an all or nothing guy. <laughs> I'm not just going to get one tattoo. I might get a bunch, yeah, right? Yeah. But you are all or nothing, which obviously in the drug world, that was bad. Yeah. But now you're all or nothing in a better direction. So let's talk about all this stuff and all the good things you're doing now. Yeah, so kind of what started that is, so I went to rehab and that was the first time that I had been in a group of men that one, I could express myself openly, but two, that they had a solution. Yeah. There was some, some action to be taken and uh, I was feeling great. I'm leading inside of that rehab. Like if I would have gone to the military, I would have been a four-star general, right? <laughs> For and, sure. <laughs> and everything's going good. My wife's coming back. She's bringing my baby to see me in rehab and all these things. And 60 days is up and I get out and we're driving. She comes and picks me up and we get home and I get out and she doesn't. And she tells me that we're divorced. Mm. And uh, shortly after that, you know, those few months earlier when my parents said they were done, they meant it. And that also meant financial help. So... Shortly after she left, the bank came and took everything I owned. And then at nine months sober, my dad passed away. Wow. And uh, I didn't know it at at the time, but I feel like that was God stepping in or your higher power, whatever you want to call it, saying, your wife, I took her away because that made you feel better. That gave you a false sense of companionship or ego, feeding my ego. And then I took all your worldly things away and you still didn't hear me. And then I took the man who helped you get all of those things away. Can you hear me now? Wow. And it was at that point that, that I had no choice but to humble up. And uh, I didn't have any money to get a therapist. So I got a Pell Grant from the government. And I went back to school. And I'm sitting with my counselors. And they're like, you need to test into math and English and all that. I'm like, no, no, no. That's not why I'm here. <laughs> right. And like, I'm only taking psychology. And they're like, why would you do that? I'm like, I want to know why I'm so messed up. And, uh, so I go into school and I remember the first few classes I started getting hot and sweaty because I'm like, is he reading my bio? Like every word in that psychology book was me. And, and so from going from like a 1.6 student in high school to being able to retain like 95% of what was in that book, I was so excited. But the only thing I was good at besides that was athletics. Hmm. So I started taking what I learned in class and I would apply it, training people for free in the park. I'd get off my $10 an hour job that I hated uh-huh, yeah. and I couldn't wait to work for free. And Man. people are like, why are you doing this? Like, and I would explain the psychology behind doing hard things and pushing your body and finding out what you're capable of doing. And quickly thereafter, I went to my uh, professor and I said, look, I'm not trying to get a degree. How would you go forward? He's like, write your story down, get these three books, read these novels and study your story. And as I went through the psychology behind all of the things that I was lacking or that I went through, it allowed me to reach so many people through fitness. It's like, how else can you help people learn how to do hard things in a safe environment? The world's coming. Yeah. Are you training for it? Yeah. Are you preparing like the warrior in the garden? Mm. And, uh, 
that quickly became a few guys into a lot of guys. And at that point, I had started running. I went from 5Ks to running ultra marathons. I skipped the marathon. <laughs> I ran 13 ultra marathons. And it's like, why would you do that? You don't even <laughs> really? like running. What are you doing? <laughs> and you're, you're right. I don't like running. But when you're 25 miles into the mountains and you have 25 miles to get out and you are broken, you learn something about yourself. Oh my God. Wow and uh, started training in obstacle racing and I was ranked top in the world in that in 2010 and for me being an extremist I learned more in a 10-hour race than I would have in 10 years of therapy yeah do you give up on yourself do you call for help do you quit Do you lay down to die or do you keep moving forward and I just simply would take all of those lessons and try and allow people to find their ultra marathon, which might be getting out of bed, might be getting off the couch 10 times. It might be like, I learned to meet people where they're at, Yeah. apply the same lessons that I was learning. You know, I took a cage fight off of Facebook at 35 years old. It sounded <laughs> like a good idea. Never had any training. Dude, I love you, man. And, Seriously. Uh, and that's what started. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's what I started Eastman Fitness. And, <laughs> and, you know, all of my family's like, you need to get a real job. Training people in the park is not a real job. You need to get your life in order. <laughs> and it's like, one thing that I need people to understand is that just because your blood doesn't mean that they're pushing you in the right direction. And not that my family was harmful, right. but they didn't see the vision that I they saw. They didn't know, yeah. Like, I had this fire burning so bright inside of me that, one, I'd rather be homeless and help these people watch the light go on in their life than be in a big home and miserable. I didn't know how to, to separate the two. So I was willing to go all in on this deal. And wow. I through my cage fights, they were airing them at the prison. And uh, I started getting these collect calls from the prison. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it's one of my buddies in there. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'll take it. And they're like, hey, coach, I saw you on TV. I want to train with you when I get out. And I'm like, Wow. Who are you? Why are you in? It's like a double attempted murder. It's like, uh, we'll talk, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> so the first one got out and, and at this point I had convinced my mom to allow me to turn her basement into Eastman fitness. And it was a room like this. Uh -huh. And I bought, I, the only thing I had of value, my dad bought me a Submariner Rolex for graduating high school. Wow. That's the only thing I probably didn't pawn. <laughs> right. And I was thinking, I'm like, would he want me to wear this watch or would he want me to use the value of this watch to chase my dreams? Hmm. So I found somebody to buy it. I took all that money and I bought rubber horse stall mats and I filled my yeah. mom's basement with it. I had my buddy weld a pull-up bar on an eight-foot ceiling that stuck down another two feet so you were on your knees doing pull-ups. <laughs> but it created this thing where I was you know, generating like $6,000 a month training people in my mom's basement. But as I started transitioning these guys out of prison, cause I wanted to change the way people were viewed mm. and give them a better chance at success than yeah. going back to their homies or, or whatever got them in in the first place. Yeah. But I'm walking through the kitchen in my mind, I'm ego. This is like, this is my spot. And I'm walking these two dudes that were from gang and they were in for double attempted murder. And my mom's in the kitchen making a or peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And when I looked at them and they're covered in tattoos and I looked at my mom and we're in Bountiful, Utah, I was like, <laughs> uh, I might need to take that next step. You know, financial insecurities were massive for me mm. and to sign a contract and be on the hook for rent every month yeah. at a place was terrifying. But I was sure. like, you know what? It's a big step. I got to do this. So yeah. I opened up my first location in downtown Bountiful and, uh, 
I only signed a one year contract just in case. Yeah. And luckily I did cause we outgrew that. And, uh, I just started spreading the word about that. Sure. I don't care what you look like or your fitness competition or mm -hmm. any of that. I yeah. care that you come in with an intention and that I help you grow as a person. And we're going to yeah. do that through lifting heavy stuff or climbing ropes or flipping tires. But that's not the intention. The intention is for you to find out what you're made of, what you're not made of and how yeah. to get better. Um, Again, why you were running. Yeah. You were learning. It wasn't about the run. It was about no. what you were learning about you. All that negative, all that's, those that's negative voices that pop up when mm -hmm. things get hard. Yeah. And I gave up my entire life when those got hard. I was like, mm -hmm. no. And then yeah. I'd manipulate those around me, hurting the ones I loved around me. And, and, uh, I fell in love. Like I went in to that cage fight fully expecting to destroy this guy out of anger. He was all the past hurts. Anybody that ever harmed me, I get to get locked in a cage with a guy and not get in trouble for it. I was like, game on. <laughs> the promoter calls me. He's like, do you have any wrestling background? And I took second place in district as a seventh grader. So wow. I was like, yeah. He's like, he wrestles for Nebraska. And it didn't even phase my ego. You're like, all like, right. I can stuff it. So he went out there and beat the shit out of me. Three and two and a half rounds. My face would look like a orangutan, just purple. I bet I took 300 un unmatched punches. And as I was leaving, head down, I just embarrassed myself, let all my friends and family down that were there. And I'm walking out of the cage. I get checked by the doctor. And as I'm leaving, everybody along the way was like, that was so awesome. You killed it. And I'm like, no, that guy won. They're like, no, you're so brave. And I sat there in the back thinking about that walk and... I had done all the work to get into recovery, right? Right. You, you make immense, you do all those things, yeah. but I forgot to make that to myself. Mm. And I found that night that I was the only one talking trash about me in that room and that I needed to change that mindset. Wow. So I went to that kid that beat me up and I went and trained with him and his coach. And I thought I was being developed into this killer when really, I fell in love with martial arts and what it taught me was honor, discipline, anger management, yeah. how to be a part of a team. And, uh, that continued on for another, I fought for another four years until I was almost 40. Um, went two and two, which is okay for an old man. Hey, that's impressive. And then as I'm working with these adults and stuff, I, I saw good results, Yeah, but I'm seeing these, these kids and I had just gotten married and these kids didn't have the skills necessary. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to bag this over here and I'm going to work in prevention. So I started as an assistant, um, on a junior high wrestling team. And one important part of that story is that when you go to a school, you have to be vetted. Right. Right. So when I walked in, I'm all eager to give up free time. And they told me, you can't do that. You need to go get a background check. So I was like, cool, I'm four years sober. You know, I'm clear of everything. <laughs> yeah. And I went in, fingerprints, you'll find out in two weeks. And I got an email the next day. And they're like, sorry, but we can't have you there. And four years sober, I'm, I'm killing it. I'm doing all these great things. And then instantly when somebody denied me something, I went back into that insecure little boy. And that lasted about 10 or 15 minutes. And I snapped out, I'm like, nope. I printed off my background check. I made an appointment with the guy that said, no, I wasn't going to be a piece of paper. Mm. So I went and I sat with him. I pushed it across the table and said, where would you like to start? 
And by the end of the conversation, he was in tears and he said, we need more coaches like you. And that started my career in uh, working with the youth. Like, I don't care what sport it is because it has nothing to do with that for me. It has to do with teaching these kids the necessary skills that mommy and daddy aren't going to be there when the real world comes and that they need to, one, be mindful. They need to have self-respect and they need to know that they're worth it and that they're capable. Right. And that just so happened to be wrestling. (laughs) Yeah. And I had a great experience that first year and, and some other schools caught wind of it. And, uh, the school I went to in junior high gave me an opportunity to be the head coach. And, uh, I took the very first conversation with the principal. I said, Hey, just so you know, I'm willing to lose my job over the way I coach. So if you have a problem with that, don't (laughs) hire me. Really? And I explained that wrestling is maybe third or fourth down the list. Building strong young men and women is number one. Grades don't matter to me as much as their mental health does. Wow. And uh, he took a chance on me. And uh, he probably never heard that before. No, he's he was like, pretty shocked. Yeah. yeah. He's like, who's this dude? <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, man, being the master of youth, you become the student. Yeah. I've learned more of stepping up, handling it, trust and honor from these kids than I ever could have in any other setting. And uh, this season, 2023, is my 10th year working inside of the schools. I've been a tracker. I've worked with the toughest kids in the school using skills like teaching them chess. Mm. And what does that do? What do most kids do when they get in trouble? They react. Yeah. And then they deal with the consequence. Right. So I used chess as a way for them to sit, patient, think, Think about four or five different moves. And uh, it's been the most amazing experience. But I found that the more I work with these youth, when they would come back from summer, they were the same kid that I started with. With, Right. Because they went back to the same place that messed them up and re-indoctrinated them and made them feel less than or not seen or heard. And so that's when I was like, you know what? I got to hit K through life. So I started working with the entire family. Mm. So yeah. I go and consult inside the home because you can yeah. come sit in my office and I know what's there, but I need right. to see that what's coming out of your mouth matches what's going on right. in my home yeah. and then helping you find the resources necessary that are going to fit your belief system, what you really need. Because if you Google youth therapists, mm-hmm. most of them are two years out. Yeah. Or you get put into a rehab that's not going to jive with what you've been taught your entire life. So true, yeah. To give them a good experience the first time is important. And that took me a a lot of growth, not being the guy, because I do that for a living as well. Right, yeah. The first time I lost somebody who had just been through my program to an overdose, I was like, you know what? I might need some help. I might need to understand the resources that we have around and be the guy that can help get them in the right place. Right. Yeah. And through athletics and my gym and speaking and all these different things, it's everything I do is just me facing my own fears. Yeah. And, uh, I'm learning every single day and recovery for me has nothing to do with drugs and alcohol anymore. It has to do with peeling back the next layer. Yeah. And, I love that. When we get in that destination mindset that if I make X amount of money or if I get the car, if I get the girl, by the time you actually do that, you've grown so much that the shine isn't there 
when you actually achieve that. And so it feels empty. Right. So I got rid of the destination and I try and be more present in the journey. And, uh, one of those experiences was I had the opportunity to take 39 cancer survivors and their doctors to Mount Everest base camp Man, and wow, spending incredible. 17 days in the Himalayas. You're walking and these mountains are the most insane, massive things you've ever seen. And yeah. every time we come around the corner, we'd be like, is that it? And the Sherpas are like, we will tell you when you see <laughs> be it. patient, but around the next corner, is that it? It's like, <laughs> Okay, he's not hearing it. Yeah. And, and that really taught me, like, when I see it, is it going to be that grand? Or is it the relationships and watching these people push past their fears and mm. past cancer and yeah. all these different things? Yeah. And every interaction I have now, I just try and sit back and, and listen to understand because I was a big arguer for right or wrong. <laughs> right. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. There's just so much to learn. And I think everybody on the planet should be in some form of recovery. For sure. And me and my sister were just talking about our upbringing and the things that we dealt with. And those older generations that they weren't taught emotional understanding either. We didn't talk about it. So we can't hold them accountable to knowing something that they didn't know. But it is our job now to break those chains, to break the family chains, to do better to be vulnerable, yeah. but also to do the work. Yeah. So wow. I just feel blessed and honored to be able to be in this space. Yeah. To be able to provide for my family, for my daughter. Um, yeah. You know, she was my why. I think people say you can't get sober for anybody else. It's like, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be sitting here right now. Yeah. So I did it for her until I did it for me. Yeah. And. Uh, yep. Wow. And then I was on the way up here, I was talking to Chelsea saying like meeting people like Todd is a blessing for me. Mm. You're, you're one insane ball of loving energy <laughs> and compassion and drive. And for me to be able to sit here with you is, is an honor. And I feel people feel the spirit in church and other places. I never felt it there, but I feel it with you every single time. And I feel it when I'm in the mountains and I feel it when I'm quiet and sit yeah. back and pay attention to why I'm here. Yeah. You know, we all have that why or that purpose. And I think a lot of the times it comes from your fails. Yeah. But we live in so, so much fear that we're going to be judged or not make it to heaven or whatever your fears are that if people could step outside of that and share what they did wrong and how they got out of it, how much better our communities would be. Yeah. Oh, for sure. So, wow. Just some days I got to pinch myself and be like, how did I land here? <laughs> right. You know, how did yeah. I make it through? How did I, you know, and ultimately it came down to being vulnerable and sharing my fears and sharing my fails. Yeah. And hoping that at least whether people do or they don't, at least educating them on my story yeah, and on if they're feeling remotely close to what I feel like, that these are the tools that you need and yeah. it takes work yeah. and providing a space for them to come and learn how to yeah. do that. And that is a dog by the way, in the background and we're okay with that actually. Cause life, that's life happening for us, right? Nothing, nothing goes perfect. Dude, you're amazing. Like truly thanks for the kind words, but I feel the exact same about you. Like, I feel so much love and spirit or whatever you want to call it when I'm sitting with you. 
I mean, we've done this a few times now, and yeah. it's been so great. I've been on your podcast. Yeah. I mean, you're doing all these amazing things, and how lucky those kids have you. And had, and thankfully, that experience you had on the mountain there behind the Bountiful Temple, when when it was like, is that loud enough for you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, how grateful I am for you and all the good work you're doing. Um, you really do inspire me to be better and stronger and I don't, I don't know. I'm just blown away at you. I mean Lord. that. I hope you know how much I appreciate you. I, feel um, I know there's people on this app, people listening to this story right now that are struggling. Yeah. You've already shared some amazing things. I mean, is there, you could hit that one kid right now who's struggling. What would you tell him? When you're younger, all you want to do is fit in, whether it's your home life, you're not being seen, or you feel less than and that the world would be better off without you. That's the biggest lie that society tells us. I was bullied, which makes you feel less than. I started believing the bullies. I utilized my mom's love and compassion too much. I didn't understand that it was up to me to understand me. You'll never be the best copycat. It is so important that you learn who you are, the cards you were dealt, mm. and you learn how to play that hand. Yeah. And I promise you, the more vulnerable and the more real you are with yourself and those around you, you will find your tribe. Wow. You will feel a part of and you will have a voice. So if it's your family that's not hearing you, quit trying to convince people of anything. Find the right people who are going to hear you and listen. Yeah, They're not going to sign off on it. They're going to be compassionate, but they're going to give you the action steps necessary in the space in order to learn it. Wow. Beautifully said. So, yeah. You know, the amount of vulnerability we're willing to express will be equal to the amount of happiness we experience in life. Yeah, I believe that. And in your story, listening through all the, at times when you did finally get vulnerable and things, it was, that's amazing yeah. of how that opened up that door for you. Yeah. You know, great advice. Yeah. Like if you get vulnerable and people put you down for it, that's not your tribe. Right. They don't have the understanding and to sit and waste energy on convincing them of something even leaves you more empty because they're not putting back into it. Yeah. So teachers, church leaders, coaches, outside influences that you look up to and that has something you want, ask them to mentor you. Ask for help. Yeah. I love that. I think I already know the answer to this next question, but I just want to ask this. What ignites you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Man, that early, <laughs> early on it was, it was my daughter, but now it's just knowing that while I was sleeping, the adversary was doing push-ups, mm. and that it's time to get up and put him back to sleep. Mm. So I like to think that when he hears my feet touch the ground, he goes and finds a cave somewhere. Yeah, I bet oh, he'd be really scared to be locked in a cage with you. <laughs> <laughs> I know he's, I would be. <laughs> he's gonna find out one way or another. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I just think there's so many, so many good people in my life um, that show up for me, and yeah. uh, on those days that it's hard for me to get out of bed because we're not perfect, and yeah. we do have those ups and downs, and I think that's the growth period um, that I do it for them. Yeah, you know, whether it's people expecting me to be at the gym. Or kids waiting for me in the wrestling room. I like to joke and be like, well, they did give me the only padded room in the school. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's a psych ward, right? Bouncing off the walls. And, but yeah. <laughs> at the end of the day, you know. I love it. We learn from our struggles. Yeah. You know, and that's why 
I've, I've got this tattoo on my arm and it says it's better to stand and fight. If you run, you will only die tired. Mm. And I got sick of running. Yeah. So to stand and fight and handle what comes at me today, it's a little exciting. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't, I don't fear that much anymore. Um, so wow. this world that's been given to me, facing fears really helps me get up and get after it. Yeah. Well, you inspire me and everyone who's around you to face their fears and to overcome them. You're living proof of that. Again, you're a walking miracle. I am inspired by you, dude. You choked me up. <clears throat> Seriously. I love you. Um, thank you for doing this. Thank you for coming here again and sharing your amazing story with all of our listeners and followers. And I, 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 I mean, it. truly, and I'm, I just feel so blessed. I'm sitting here with you right now. It's just, it's what a, what a gift that is. Likewise. So thank you for being on the show today. Yeah. Guys, Rob Eastman here, man, the tattooed life coach. Um, he has a website, robeastmancoaching.com. And on Instagram, he's the tattooed life coach. And please reach out to him. He's doing amazing things. And if you have a son or a daughter who's struggling and that you everything you're trying is not working, send him to Rob. I'm telling you, he will help uh, them get through whatever they're going through. Um, like I said, he inspires me, but he'll inspire you and your kids or anyone who's struggling. Um, he's been on my podcast before. He was episode number 227. Oh. If you want to hear his full, full length story, you can um, definitely go listen to that again. We'll have that in the show notes and you can watch that again. But please reach out to Rob. Tell him thanks for being a light in this world. And uh, again, thanks. Can for I shout out my book? Please. So it's about done. It'll be published between June and September. And nice. it's title will be warrior in the garden Ooh, love it that's warrior cool. in the garden and that's the full yeah. we'll have you back on once and we'll help you launch that puppy oh, I'd love let's that. do it I would appreciate for sure that. we'll that's a, that's a given i'm excited yeah yeah i'm terrified okay well i love you man thanks for <laughs> being on too. here appreciate it okay till next time everyone love you guys